You know, it was about the fourth time, and I have these because I wasn't sure if I could actually read the notes. So I printed really big font this morning, and that's another sign of what's coming. But anyways, um, it was about the fourth sit-down that we had as friends with a certain individual, and uh, each time he heard the same thing, and he would ask the same questions. What do you think, guys? Do I do it? Do I take the step? Do I ask her? I'm just not sure. What if I'm wrong? What if there's someone else for me? What if we're not a good match? So once again, we would sit with him. We would run through the pros and the cons. We would make some good suggestions. But it always was left at the same place. Uncertainty. No matter how many prayers we would throw up, no matter how much time we would debate back and forth with him as we began to understand this part of his life, he would always be unsure, well, what is is this God's will? Is it God's will? And we know that life presents itself with countless opportunities where we are often left to navigate decisions that will literally change our lives for the good or for the bad. From vacations all the way to vocation. Some are serious and have serious consequences to them and are very consequential. And others, they don't seem that big of a deal. And yet, every decision we know in life has the ability to leave. Remember what they called it? The butterfly effect. Which is this idea that small, seemingly trivial events that ultimately result sometimes in with much larger consequences than we could ever imagine. So they would say, for instance, they would speculate that if there was a butterfly that flapped its wings in, let's say, India, that that tiny air pressure change could ultimately lead to a tornado in Idaho. That was their speculation. I'm not so sure about that, but I'll tell you what. A small little lie or misdetail left out in a conversation in the morning with your wife can sometimes lead to a tornado in the home by evening. Yes. I still recall doing marriage counseling with this one couple in a session when I thought I'd come to the section where we would begin to talk about having children and kids. And before I barely finished the question with regards to what were their plans for children, he blurted it out instantly, we're not having kids. Well, the wind started to pick up. Storm clouds began to build. The look on her face told me a different story. And by the end of that session, let's just say it became a little breezier or maybe hurricaneous, if that was actually a word. It's not, but I really liked it, so I'm going to use it. So just for your information, my friend did marry this girl. They got married, they had kids. They, they became missionaries in Russia for years. And this other individual, while well, his Facebook posts show him and his wife happily married with a child. So they did come out. But life is serious business. And we know that the potential for tornadoes equals the serenity that we often so desperately seek for in life and all its activities and we cherish so much. But we know choices have consequences. So the Bible tells us, seek and, and pray and ask God's will and then hope for the best. But best can be pretty elusive at times. You will know that when we have our time of prayer at the end of every service. 
We don't hear often the best scenarios. It's the same message that I tried to convey to my children and now my grandchildren that, hey guys, think everything through. Don't just rush into things. Plan accordingly. And I'm sure that at some point, someone about my age began to think like this and they came up with this idea. If you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell them? I was 21 there. My wife is only 18. Now, I might tell myself, my 20-year-old self, hey, buy Apple shares, <laughs> buy Microsoft. When this weird thing comes up called Bitcoin, don't laugh. Jump in on it. I would tell them, hey, in 1988, 89, that's the, that's the season to buy tickets for the flames. Don't really get worked up about Y2K. And then I would probably tell myself to try to do everything you could to warn about 9-11, 2001. I might even tell myself, here's a list of people to avoid. Here's something that you should begin to do to make better choices. But after I thought about all that for a while, honestly, this is what I came to conclude. I would take the scriptures like Psalms 1, 1 to 2, and I would read it to myself. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And then they would say, and who meditates on it day and night. See, I would look myself straight in the eyes and I would say, Glenn, seriously, this ain't just a good slogan. You want to be blessed? Do you want even a chance of grasping God's will for your life? Do you want to have a chance of fulfilling your life purpose? Do you want to even have a chance when the Scriptures promise that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and teach you and guide you? Do you want to learn to be content regardless of what happens around you? Do you want to have some strength to overcome patience, then take this verse very seriously. Our text today, I would look that text and I would show it right to myself and I would read Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be what transformed? How? By the renewing of your mind. Guess that then, then you will be able to approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Glenn, I would say, it's true. It really is true. It's trustworthy. And I would reiterate again and again with as much as I could emphasize to myself without scaring myself that a daily time with God will be absolutely essential in coming to terms with life, and everything that I am about to be confronted with, period. No questions asked, no excuses made. That is the truth. And yes, I could give certain dates that I would say, okay, for your children, keep them home that day. Certain individuals, financial decisions, avoid those. But honestly, the greatest advice we could ever give comes down to your word is a lamp to a feet, my feet, a light for my path. See, when the Apostle Paul took our text and he addressed this issue of God's will, and he says, well, then you will be able to test and prove God's will. He said, yes, preface it with first. Before that happens, we have to be transformed by this renewing of the mind, he calls it. If you remove that part, you don't get that part. And to renew, I look, is to start again. 
to reestablish, to restore, to recondition, to overhaul, to rebuild, to improve. My favorite, to renovate. Because I love to renovate. And so we read verses in Colossians 3, 10 to 11. Put on your new nature and be renewed when? As you learn to know God, to know your Creator, and to become like Him. Ephesians 4, 23. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Psalms 119, 114. You're my place of quiet retreat. I wait for you to what? To renew me. See, that's where it happens. And I know quiet retreat telling myself when I'm 20 years old versus, you know, effective strategy compared to, you know, like markets and Bitcoin investments. You know, we always talk about the Midas touch. If we could just have the Midas touch with all our financial investments. Do you realize what you're asking when you say that? Because the reality of that parable We've forgotten already because we love so much the end result of a Midas touch. The moral of the story of King Midas out of Turkey was that he asked for this apparent blessing and in the process, his food turned to gold, his water turned to gold, his daughter turned to gold. It was a curse, not a blessing. And yet today we say, oh, we said the Midas touch. Then I read Psalms 49.20, people who have wealth, but hey, lack understanding, like the beasts that perish. So we have Scripture, Psalms and the Proverbs, literally full of thoughts and ideas, and we would call them nuggets of gold of wisdom and advice. And yes, Scripture is full of some very tangible aspects of God's will that maybe if we took a little more knowing and doing what we do know God asks us to do, some of the unknown wouldn't become so difficult for us. And so Proverbs 1.5 would say, let the wise listen and let's add to their understanding and then let these discerning people get what? Guidance. That's how we get it. The verse before Romans 12, 2, which is our text, speaks of offering our bodies first as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Then it directs us to renew our minds. And I look at us today and I go, you know, this whole idea of self-sacrifice runs so contrary to the values of our culture. Today, it's often we hear of putting ourselves first, demanding our rights, demanding to have our own path in life, and that our feelings will reign over facts. Even in the church, I begin to see these truths infiltrate as we begin to say, you know what, my personal experience with God is authoritative. Because this happened to me, it becomes authoritative in the church, even more so than Scripture. So our experiences is more authoritative than what the Scriptures teach us. And that's a scary thought. A living sacrifice, God said, is calling us to lay our our lives down on the altar for Him. Period. A deliberate, a very voluntary surrender. It's the giving of ourselves and the control of our lives unreservedly to the one who has shown us such great compassion and mercy, period. Simplified, wherever he wants us to go, we go. Whatever he requires of us, we do. And whatever he wants, we desire as well, daily, daily. 
problem is, a lot of times we don't even ask or question what he wants. You know, somehow doing the sign and pointing up to the sky heavenwards, that's not nearly as effective as demonstrating one's faith as a life that's just lived out according to the authority of the Bible and the Scriptures, where sometimes the decisions and the sacrifices are pretty tough. Can I? wasn't part of it. It's not in the notes. I got this this morning from a friend of ours. And he pastored here in town, and now he's somewhere else. And, and he's not that old. Day two, life support for his wife. Today's hard. Body not responding the way it should. If you know her at all, she's definitely fighting hard. I love that about my bride of 29 years. She's so strong. We're praying hard. And I'm humbled, honored, and filled by all the prayers that you've prayed for us. While I ask you to keep praying, I pray this for you. May God take this circumstance and glorify his name in each one of your homes. May he bring healing to your spirits and your bodies. May those who don't desperately love Jesus fall desperately in love with him through the unsettling times. He says, I know God does not always answer prayers the way we want. I praise God for that. I realize if I was at the cross seeing the injustice done to my Lord, I would have prayed for him to come down. But praise God, he answers prayers according to his understanding and for our good. So keep praying, and may God be glorified. Eugene Peterson wrote this. An interest in souls divorced from an interest in scriptures leaves us without a text that shapes these souls. In the same way, an interest in scriptures divorced from an interest in souls leaves us without any material for the text to work on. So I would turn to my 20-year-old Glenn, and I may be able to prevent ourselves from some pitfalls in life, but they're only going to be replaced with others, other issues, other hurts. So the true success isn't that they counter them, it's our endurance of them, not just avoiding them. And it will be the test of our faith and our trust in the character of a God. So what we desperately need is God. And we need to understand his truths, not just concepts. Not just catchy phrases like, let go and let God. Dusty Bibles lead dirty lives. Forbidden fruits create many jams. And we say those. And I look at my work and I go, you know, a good renovation, as you know, requires a considered effort and some labor-intensive work. It's discovering all those toxins and molds and rot, removing all that creates decay in our lives, in our minds, in the environment that we put ourselves in so often, that we allow to be a part of our lives. I don't have to list them. You know what they are for each and every one of you. And so when we search daily the Scriptures, as we seek daily God's presence, and we ask every morning, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to guide me and lead me and teach me, amazing things begin to occur. A renewal in the mind. Ultimately, with our whole demeanor, our attitude, it changes, and then we falter. But then it changes, and then we falter. And we will avoid the spiritual gravity that is so loose in the world that tends to drag everything downwards, including God. 
Again, Eugene Peterson in a really good book called Eat This Book. I, I was reading it the other day, coffee, and the guy sitting beside me says, oh, is that book on food? <laughs> Eat this book. I go, well, no, not really, but yes. Uh, he reads, but as it turns out in the business of living the Christian life, ranking high among the most neglected aspects is one having to do with reading of the Christian scriptures. Not that Christians don't own and read their Bibles, and not that Christians don't believe that their Bibles are the Word of God. What is neglected is reading scriptures formatively reading in order to live see god becomes omg minimized there's a deterioration of his place and his holiness we've lost what the bible calls the fear of the lord you know, in the Scriptures, the Bible talks about such relevance to a person's name that in the name, everything they are and all that they represent is captured. And so God says, you know, Abram, you're now Abraham and, and Isaac or Jacob, you're going to Israel. And, and oh, by the way, Simon, you're going to Peter. And I love that because Simon's name actually was a bit of a, a Greek nickname from Simeon. Simon meant snub-nosed. I can see why he wasn't too. But Jesus came and said, hey, snub nose, you're now Peter. You're now the rock. And he established that in his great declaration to Jesus when he recognizes, man, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And he also came through when he bailed on Jesus three times. But he still remained a rock in his faithfulness to ask for forgiveness and move back. In the good and the bad, he remained a rock and led the church. There's a reason that Jesus said, okay, if you're going to talk to God, if you're going to pray to him, this is how you start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the very first thing that we have got to understand. The reverence of the awe of who God is. It it is everything. And that's why things like the Sabbath become so essential. That God says, I want you to keep it because it's just telling me about your priority for me in your life. Because actions do speak louder than words. Dallas Willard wrote, Resist. Rest is not something that the world gives us. It's something we choose to enter into. If you want to rest, you have to take it. And protect it from a world intent on stealing it. Renewal comes in our rest. Renewal comes in our Sabbaths. Renewal comes in our meditations and so, and our prayers. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, relying on God has to start all over every day as if nothing has yet been done. It has to. Every day. I love this thing that came out of, again, Eugene's book, Eat This Book. He talks about Isaiah 31.4, and he says there was a verse there that said, As a lion growls over his prey. And the Hebrew word used there for growl was haga. And it usually, throughout the rest of scriptures, is translated as meditate. Just like the verse I read at the very beginning of Psalms 1 where it says a man or a woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord and they meditate, haga, on it every day. And the picture that he was trying to capture, just like your dog when he gets a bone. <laughs> Probably my wife would say that glad when he gets a good steak. <laughs> it's just this growling. And you're taking everything about it anticipation and enjoyment and you're savoring this scripture. 
Wasn't it Psalms 34, 8 that it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what our ancestors tried to do when they called it Lectio Divina, which was translated spiritual reading. And it was a reading that they said that you got into the Scriptures and the reading, it just entered our souls as food enters a stomach and it seeped into our very being and our blood and it becomes holiness and love and forgiveness and wisdom. Readers became what they read. That's what the Scriptures promise. It's not just a gossip about who God is. It was meant to be internalized, this living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. The power of the author is right there, and it says, it's going to change you. And so we've got to get over this idea that it's all about accomplishing things for God. Before the Lord ever worries about workers, you know what he's looking for? Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. He says, I want you to know me as your father. Let's just go way back to the original intent. How God first planned. Before sin came on the scene, what was it like? God walking the garden with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In relationship. This was the original intent that God had in mind. This is why that you hear Scripture, God says to the psalmist, quote this, put this down, be still and know that I am God. See, that was everything. It wasn't the hustle and bustle and the things. No, no, no. Be still. Know that I'm God. Walk with me. Know me. And guess what? Everything else falls, follows suit. That, that invitation is echoed throughout all history. And so again, I would turn to my 20-year-old something and says, you know what, Glenn? Prayer, devotion, a relationship, an encounter, a conversation with God. You know what that is? That's the root to all we do. Seriously. All you ever will do. That is the root right there. Directionless lives are given meaning in relationship with God, period. Strength is given through God, period. And just as Adam and Eve walk with God each day, we can, we must grow in our relationship with Him through this practice of walking with Him. A daily encounter, a meet with experience. That was humanity's original intent. From day one, enjoy what I've given you, but here it is. We're walking together. See, the Hebrew word for garden is Ghana. It literally meant a covered or a, a hidden place. And so the Lord says, where's your hidden place, Glenn? Where's your hidden place? Or has your hidden place simply become a place of hiding like Adam and Eve? You know, things changed, we know, quickly in the garden. Renewal and thoughts of do-over weren't even there, but suddenly there they are. Why? Because we were given choice. And suddenly hide-and-seek became a new game for humanity. And so we read in Genesis 3.8, Then the man and his wife, after they had sinned, heard the sound of the Lord God is walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Well, where are you? He answered, uh, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid. Why? I'm naked. I thought, because I took what I wasn't. No, no, he said, I'm naked. And said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
We have the scriptures. Genesis 1 narrates the whole week in which everything was created, heaven and earth filled with creatures, including mankind and, and God's will and purpose for them. Genesis 2 begins to zoom in to focus on his creation of the first man and woman. Do you know the concluding statement before this comment was made in chapter 2, verse 25? It said, and the man and his wife were both naked, and then it had the tag, and we're not ashamed. See, they were innocent. They had no sin. They had no guilt. Thus, they had no shame. And what happens in Genesis 3, as we just read, helps us understand just how valuable that condition of innocence really was and how stained it became. And so the consequences of eating from that tree, we are told, would be death. And so we know the serpent tempted Eve and Adam ate with Eve and suddenly... They recognized something. Their eyes were open in a way that they had not seen before. Why? Because now they had sinned. So there was a reason for shame. Now they violated his word. They had a reason for guilt. They sinned against their creator. And that sense of guilt came through their awareness of their nakedness. See, when they had no sin, no problem. But now it's there. And then suddenly they said, well, we have to cover this up. You know, that's the first example of works salvation, that somehow we got to earn our right. They went around looking for leaves, covered themselves up. We'll, we'll just hide. We'll hide the stuff that suddenly we're ashamed of. Which, is, by the way, is carried out through all of humanity. We all are very uh, leery of people who look at us too closely and carefully, and we're already timid of our looks and our appearances. It's affected us all. We all feel exposed at times. But we're told in Genesis 3.15, God then began something that very moment and he said that one day the seed of Eve between you two will crush the head of Satan. And he wasn't extremely specific, but in time they were very keenly aware that there would have to be some type of sacrifice, even as God clothed them with animal skins, which meant something. But then we are informed that the Savior would come one day. And while the plan of salvation wasn't as detailed as we understand it, by the time of Canaan and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve, there was an understanding between them that if there wasn't shedding of blood, there's no covering for sin. And so when Abel brought a sacrifice of a slain animal, God accepted it. And we know that caused issues alone. And then we're given the rest of the scriptures where we're told Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain for you and me. And so when I conclude this now, I'm going to give a little bit of a lengthy scripture, but I'm going to let scripture speak for itself. With this in mind, I want you to truly walk through Romans 8 with you. I want you to listen carefully to the words and the thoughts that God is trying to get through Paul to us. Listen to the words that promise transformation, that promise light being shed to our path, direction. And it goes like this, Romans 8, Therefore, because of Jesus, there is now no condemnation. You hear that? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, guess what? He sets you free. Free from the law of sin and death. See, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, 
God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteousness of the law might finally fully be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then he says, those who live according to the flesh, guess what? They have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds, the renewal, set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh, it's death, people. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh, it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so by Him we can cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, if we are children, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And get this, if indeed we share in His sufferings, as my friend is, in order that we may also share in His glory. We skip down to 28. Because remember, we're talking about all these decisions with their consequences. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Down a few more verses, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither uh, death nor life, angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My goodness, that's, that's a sermon right there, that whole text. Friends, someone once said, and I close with this, to know much and taste nothing, of what use is that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. You have provided so much we can only scratch the surface in the time together. My prayer and hope and encouragement that each and every one of us would be drawn to your word in such a way that it was a good construction moment going on every morning, every afternoon, evening, whenever it is. Whether we're 20-something, younger or older, this applies to each and every one of us. May we draw on your strength, your presence, your truths. May the authority of Scripture override all that we desire and want. This is not about us. It's you. May we learn and understand that. And even as my friend is walking through one of the most difficult things in his life, he has not walked away from you. May we have that comfort. May we be drawn into such a relationship And it's not that we won't flounder and have our moments, but God, we will return. And you will teach us and you will hold us and Holy Spirit, you will comfort us. And then we in turn will turn around and do what we can for others. It won't be about us, this world. It will be about others and serving and loving people. We thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.